<laughs> good to see everybody today, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's good to be here with you. Um, don't you worry, only have a few more days of this heat, and then Chicago will turn into Siberia once again. So anybody who's sweating today, don't you worry. You'll enjoy it and wish you were sweating in a little bit. So um, guys, it's good to see you. Um, my name is Roland, if I don't know you. I'm the pastor here, and it's um, a great, great joy to have you with us. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to say a couple things. Um, number one, um, those were a lot of announcements uh, this morning um, because we have a lot going on, which is a good thing, right? Um, but what we also want to encourage you to do is to also look at our online calendar um, because we have our updated calendar that's um, go there for you to reference week after week. And if you're interested in anything that we're doing from community groups to prayer meetings to outreaches in the city um, to um, obviously our worship services, please check that. It's at um, secondcitychurch.com.org or we even have some domain names like chitownchurch.com.org. We got them all. So anyway, it'll all get to us. <laughs> so um, be sure to uh, check the calendar. But um, besides that, I also wanted to um, say that prayer, just to reiterate, Prayer is going to be um, held every Friday at our place, uh, Friday nights from 7 to 8 p.m., except for the first Friday of the month, which again is at Christina's house this Friday. It's going to circulate just the first Friday of the month, but the other Fridays, so you don't have to play guesswork and figure out where it is, it will be at our place, okay? And if you need the address, um, I'm not going to put it on the podcast, so I don't have any, like random visitors, but I will tell you, okay? <laughs> okay, but I will tell you. And so um, come and talk to us if you need the address for the podcast, I'm sorry, for the uh, prayer meeting. And then finally, let me also say um, that uh, we have a very special uh, celebration uh, today because uh, not only are people getting married, but people are on their way to the altar too. Can you give it up for Chris and Aaron? Chris and Aaron! <laughs> Just back from Asia, making a trip, and Chris brought it home, baby. <laughs> brought it home, <laughs> getting engaged, saying, I'm getting the job done. And so we just wanted to say congratulations to Chris and Aaron. Um, they are good, making their plans now for a sweet marriage. And uh, with that in mind, if you have any ideas, please give it to them. Um, not too many, though. They have already have enough opinions. So, <laughs> okay. But show them all the, uh, the love that you can uh, today and as they approach the uh, altar. So um, with that in mind, um, I'm going to jump right into the Word today, um, which is uh, based on a new series that we're doing called Faith of Our Fathers. Faith of Our Fathers. And as Cole talked about, um, even in the exhortation this morning during our time of giving, um, God has, us, has given us instruction through his word, and his instruction is throughout Genesis through Revelation, and all of it is important. How many people believe that? It's all important. Genesis to Revelation is important. God speaks to us by his word and shows us how to walk with him in a way that's pleasing to him, that's honorable to him, and it's all done by faith. What we started last week was a new series going through um, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews, which is Hebrews chapter 11, if you've uh, never referenced that before. And Hebrews 11 is actually written by the author to instruct the people of God how to live by faith in the midst of the daily circumstances and in the midst of even the trials that the people of that time were experiencing because they were going through a time of persecution. Um, but the book of Hebrews, I love it because it takes the Old Testament and it takes all that was spoken about in the Old Testament law in terms of the sacrifices, the temple worship, and all that was um, a foreshadowing of the person of Christ. And it gives explanation to those things in who he is and in his person so that everything 
everything that was written in the past, as we discussed last week, was written to teach us so that through encouragement and the endurance, I'm, I'm sorry, endurance and the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope that the same way that God related to the men and women of faith in the past, he'll relate to us and take us on into the things of God as we continue to trust in him in a like manner. So today we're going to um, jump into part two of this series, Living by Faith. And we're going to talk about it today in a manner that's uh, really applicable by looking at a family. And we've discussed them before, but we're looking at the family of Abraham, who is the father of the faith. He was the, um, um, he was the leader of the Jewish people. He was the leader of the Hebrew people, and he had a lineage, um, Isaac, his um, son, and then later Jacob, his grandson, who um, br brought fulfillment to the promises of God in what is known as modern-day Israel. And we're going to see, as we see, as God instructed Abraham and his family, we can live by faith today. So we hear that term all the time, that the righteous will live by faith, but we want to discuss today how that's done, okay? It's not just a concept, but how do we in fact live by faith on a daily basis? And so we're going to break it down, if you're taking notes today, into the before, the during, and the after of our lives, okay? The before, the during, and the after of our lives. Or if you're trying to get even more practical, when God has us live by faith, he gives us a place, a people, and a promise, otherwise known as a purpose, okay? A place, a people, and a promise otherwise known as a purpose. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us today. God, we thank you that you've not made it a mystery, but you've revealed by your word how we're to live in trust toward you, to please you by faith, and to live out the promises of God that you've given us as we keep in step with you by that faith. God, we're asking that even as Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of our faith, that you would increase the faith level amongst us today, that we live by faith not just momentarily or from time to time when we feel like we're on a high, but instead we live um, in the highs and in the lows, in the good times, in the celebratory times, as well as in the challenges, looking ahead to the good reward that you have for us because of Jesus' sinless life, his miracles, his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. In his mighty name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible today, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 8, going through verse 16, talking about the before. Before God starts us on any path, bringing us into his promises and his purposes, here's the good news. He gives us a place, and that's the before. He's the initiator, as we already said, of our faith. And because he's an, an initiator, he gives us that initiation by giving us a place by which we're going to set our feet, learn to grow in our fear and knowledge of him, and then become what he wants us to be to the world. And this is what happened in the life of Abraham's family. It said in verse 8, if you don't have a Bible, the verses will be there for you on the screen. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, 
and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a sit, um, for them a city." So here we go when we see that God initiates with the Hebrew people. Giving you a bit of history um, of the patriarch Abraham, we see that Abraham himself did not grow up monotheistic. He grew up in the midst of a pagan culture in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And when God got a hold of him, he was calling him out of a place of pagan sacrifice into a place of true religion. And the true religion that he's talking about is worship of the one true God. I know we live in a society today that tells you that there are many ways or there are many ideas about how you can worship or get to God. But God from the Old Testament was saying, the Lord your God is one and serve him and him alone. And the God that you are to serve is going to make himself known to you so you don't have to figure out who he is. But instead, he'll be a self-revelatory God. And as he reveals himself, he expects you to relate to him in kind. And he came to this man named Abraham, who was named Abram at the time, and he said, leave your country, your people, and your household and go to the place that I'm going to show you. Go to the place that I'm going to show you. So he said, leave everything that you know, everything that provides comfort to you, everything that provided a cultural structure for you, and go to the place where I can, number one, break you, because how many people know that provided a sense of a little bit of instability and insecurity for Abraham? It's sort of like I'm leaving everything that I know, and I'm not, I don't, as the scripture says, I don't even know where I'm headed. I'm just trying to keep in step with this God, this monotheistic God who's made himself known to me and said, follow me and obey me wherever I tell you to go. And that is the same call that he has on every Christian whenever he makes himself known to us. He says, regardless of where you've started, I don't care what culture you've come from. I don't care what socioeconomic background you've come from. I don't care what type of religious household you've come from. God appears to you, makes himself known and says, follow me wherever I tell you to go. And in that place, by faith, you obey me and I'll bring about the promises that I have for you. This is what Abraham did. And because he did it, we see that not only did God give him a land, which was the land of modern day Israel, right? But he gave him a family. Up to that point, his wife Sarai, who was later to be known as Sarah, was barren. Even though they had um, you know, been together for years, Sarah was past the age of childbearing, which in practical terms, medical terms, mean that she had already gone through what my mother likes to call her personal summer, meaning she had gone through, she'd gone, she'd gone through menopause, right? There was nothing else coming out. But God said, hey, listen, I made a promise to you, and I'm going to give you children. And because my word is spoken over you, I'm the God of creation, I'm the God of miracles, and I can do what supersedes even the 
physical realm or the natural realm, and I'm able to create whatever I want to to accomplish my purposes. And by faith, because he said, I believe God, he was not only able to inherit a land, but he was able to begin a family. And that family that begun was Isaac, as we already talked about, his son. And then later, his grandson, Jacob. And it's said of them that in this nation that they were finding themselves in, they were nomads in that land. They were nomads, not having a place of their own. And you can identify with this as a Chicagoan, can you not? Every year or every two years, you're nomadic, are you not? The rent rises and you're out the door looking for another place to stay. And it's sort of like, that's all right, people of God. By faith, God is with you until he gives you a home. And we believe that God, if he's called you here, even wants to give you land in this place. Land in this place and give you a home where you can settle down and begin taking ground for the kingdom of God. We love city centers, do we not? Because city centers of impact and affect the entire world. We come from many different types of towns and locales, but whenever you come to places on the East Coast like New York City or in the Midwest like Chicago or on the West Coast like L.A., what you're doing is you're being brought into this, um, the flow of culture to shape it in such a way that it's either going to be shaped for the kingdom of darkness or for the kingdom of light. But God, by his sovereignty, has brought you into the city center to actually shape this city and this region and thus the world for the kingdom of God. And he said, I'm giving you a place and you better start adopting this, not as just some random place that you've shown up, not as just some place you had to go to because you were placed here by your job or you happened, this happened to be the only school you could get into. God has placed you here by his sovereignty so that by faith you might begin shaping the city and then the nation and then the nations of the earth for the kingdom of God from this place by faith, from this place by faith. This is what he said. It said, these all died in faith though, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Like we talked about last time, it doesn't happen just by a turnkey turn of the motion, right? Isn't that how we want our faith to be just like everything else in our life? We wanna just put the key in the ignition or if, you know, you have a fancier car nowadays, just push the button when you're outside the car. It's already turned on warming up for you. The seat warmer's right. And you're like, boom, just get in and drive, baby, drive. Or if you're an investor in Google, one day you won't have to drive at all, right? The self-driving cars take you where you need to go. But the thing about it is by faith, God says, hey, listen, these people were trusting in the promises of God, keeping in step with him and building something that they themselves, in fact, didn't see in their lifetime. Abraham was told that he was going to become a mighty nation, a great nation, and that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that's true today through the Jewish people. They are as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Even through the midst of the trials and tribulations that has um, um, accompanied the Jewish population throughout history in the Jewish diaspora, you can find them anywhere and everywhere throughout the nations prospering because God himself blessed them. And God's saying, listen, I'm telling you I'm going to bless you, but it's going to start with you, Abraham. And at the end of Abram's days, he had his unfortunate, unfortunately, he got a little ahead of the game, 14 years into it, had a son, Ishmael, 
That's a whole nother topic, you know what I mean, um, with his servant girl and then also his son Isaac and then a couple others. But how many people know that wasn't a mighty nation? It wasn't a mighty nation. Just having that one child of promise, Isaac, that wasn't a mighty nation. It was the seed of a mighty nation. And he said, I'm by faith sowing into the things of God, obeying him day after day after day, giving myself to the things of God time after time after time, because I know that the promises of God will ultimately in this place long outlast me. And what I do now matters for the generations to come. And by faith, he was sowing into his family. He was sowing into that land. He was sowing into the people of God so that long after he and Sarah passed away, his son Isaac would carry on the faith. His uh, grandson Jacob would carry on that faith. And then the kings and the prophets would come according to the word of God, taking dominion in that land until ultimately one day up 2,000 years ago, the Messiah himself would show up to be the Savior of the world. But he's called the patriarch or the father of the faith because regardless of what he saw immediately in his time or what was immediately tangible to him, he was going to build his life by faith. He was going to build his life not according to what he saw, but according to what God saw. And that's what faith is, getting the perspective of God and renewing it by his word day by day to say what I'm investing my life in matters because God sees it and God, the eternal one, will bring it all about in his time. If I choose to sow and build my life by faith. He gives us a land to do it though. And God has in Jesus Christ, just taking it to the New Testament, a good city, a new city, a heavenly city that he's preparing for us. Does he not? He talks about Jerusalem in the Old Testament was the center of worship where the temple was. And the people came year after year to offer their sacrifices at the temple as part of their adoration and praise to God to center, once again, press that reset button and center their lives around the worship of God. They had annual festivals in which they were required, man, woman, and child, servants to come and offer those sacrifices in Jerusalem at the temple. It was a foreshadowing of what we do every week, Sunday after Sunday at church. We're pressing the reset button saying, I have, I admit, I've been distracted by my week. I've been made tired by all my responsibilities and the things pulling at me. But I'm saying once again, I'm showing up, not forsaking the gathering of the brethren. And I'm giving myself to the worship of God that I might once again say, he's first and most important in my life. God, clean me, cleanse me, and set me on course by faith in your purposes. That's why we show up week after week. That's one of those biblical imperatives that we were talking about, right? It's like Christians nowadays almost, nowadays almost treat church as optional. Let me tell you, millennials, church is not optional. Hello. Thank you, Caleb. Love that, Caleb. Church is not optional for you. Just because you're showing up, hanging out with somebody else who calls himself a Christian does not mean you've had church. Just because you go on some podcast, and I appreciate podcasts, we're podcasting now, listening to a great sermon. There are plenty of podcasts that are better than mine, right? And listening to the word of God being taught does not mean you've had church. 
You need to gather together with the people of God. Look somebody in the eye and say, how is your life in God doing? And you encourage me in mine. Let's give God the adoration he's due. Let's set apart time and effort and energy to say, God, you're first in my life. And God, show me how to live for you out of this place. That's what the Israelites did year after year with God. Hebrews 10.25, please write that down. Hebrews 10.25, if you don't have pen and paper, take out your phone. I don't mind. Just don't text after that. Take it, take it out and write down Hebrews 10.25. He said, do not forsake the gathering of the brethren, which some are in the habit of doing. You know why he was writing that years ago? Because years ago, people were in the habit of doing it. And it's no different now. He said, don't forsake that gathering of the brethren as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. How many people know that when you're in the right place, you get the right encouragement to keep going in the right purposes? And how many people know you're going out of this place, getting discouragement instead of encouragement for the things of God? The things you're surrounded by in the workplace, sometimes in your family, sometimes in your friendship group, on social media. It is not exalting the things of God. But that's why he said, set about a time and a place where you're going to worship me. And there in that place, I'll strengthen you and bring you back into alignment with me that you might serve me wholeheartedly. Jerusalem was that place in the Old Testament. Jerusalem was that place of worship. But in the New Testament, we see that after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, around 70 AD, the Romans came in and they destroyed the temple. They destroyed that one place of worship, right? That monotheistic place of worship. But we see that God had already prepared the people for that because Jesus had come in John chapter, <coughs> John chapter 4 and said, hey, listen, you're no longer just going to worship at this place. Because my worshipers are going to, that my father desires and that he's seeking, they're going to worship me in spirit and in truth. And I've got a new home that I'm preparing for you. I'm here with you now. I'm going to be with you these 33 plus years, but then I'm gone, baby, gone. But don't you worry, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, meaning the third person of the Trinity, who's going to be with you in my stead. He'll be with you forever and he'll strengthen you. He'll teach you. He'll empower you until I bring you home. And that place that he brought us to is that he's preparing for us, as the scripture says, a new city, a heavenly Jerusalem, where there'll be worship of God day and night without end, where he'll get rid of all sin, get rid of all suffering, get rid of all pain. And is that good news to anybody? He says, I'm going to end it all and start, I'm going to bring my new world order where I'm the king, and I myself am the light of that city, and the light will not go out. Don't talk about, as though some of you used to be in, come from a church home where you were in church almost every day of the week. Well, baby, you better get used to that because in heaven we're going to be worshiping all the time. If you get tired of that, you won't like heaven. All right, You won't like heaven because that's what we're going to be called to do, worshiping him night and day, casting down our crowns, saying, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Let me tell you, people often ask, why are you calling it Second City Church? What's the meaning of the name Second City Church? It's in celebration of that place. 
It's in celebration of that place. Threefold reason. Number one, Chicago, if you didn't know, is called the second city. So many times I'm passing out invitations, re- preaching to people in the streets. They're like, oh, cool, this is a ticket to the comedy club. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, no. We tell jokes, but not those guys, okay? It's like, it's the second city, right? Chicago's known as the second city, but what we're celebrating is the new Jerusalem, the new city that he's building for us, the heavenly home that he's calling us to. He were also celebrating the fact that even as the Old Testament temple was torn down and burned to the ground, but it was rebuilt in the time of Nehemiah with the burnt stones, we believe that God's building his church with burnt lives that are being redeemed. He said your life might have been burnt by sin. You might have felt like a victim. You might have felt full of shame, but God's going to redeem your life through faith and repentance and rebuild your life as a part of his church with those living and burnt stones in a second city. And then thirdly, he says, let me tell you something. The only way that you're going to enter that city is if you're born again. That's what Jesus said. It's not playing religion. It's not just showing up when you want to. It's not just trying to pay your tithes and offerings as if you're paying off God. He's saying, if you are born again, then you can see and enter the kingdom of God, which means you say, I'm giving up my rights to him, turning away from my sin my rebellion, and I'm choosing to entrust myself to him, his death, burial, and resurrection, and his ways. He's the leader now in my life, and I'm choosing to follow him. We say there's a second city because of that, but he says you need to learn how to worship him in the right place, in your right home, and if it's not this church home for you, I encourage everybody to find a church, to find a church. Just because you don't like this one doesn't mean there's not a church home for you. You understand that? If you are not going to show up here Sunday after Sunday, there are a lot of good Jesus-loving Bible preaching churches in the city and in the suburbs. You need to become a part of one where you can be fully vested. And until you do, you're not doing what you need to in God. You need to find your place. You need to find your home. Amen? Amen. All right. I love Jesus. He said in John 14, 1 through 3, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I, have not told you, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that, I, <clears throat> that where I am, you may be also. By his sovereignty, God calls you to both a place and a people to accomplish his will. There, by faith, we're able to see God birth not just his, his new nature in us, but he's also, like Abraham and Sarah, able to birth posterity. Everybody say posterity. Okay, that's just a fancy word meaning that you have a lineage, right? I've got a posterity that's being built, two boys and two girls right now, right? It's sort of like they're fishers, right? It's like the fisher name is being carried on, and it's because I've got posterity by the blessing of God. And that's part of the blessing. And here's the good news, that even if you've been trying for children for a period of time, God's the God of miracles, and he can bless that womb. Just like he did with the miracle with Sarah, he can open wombs today. But he not only gives posterity naturally, he also gives posterity spiritually, which is what he says is making disciples. That not only would you learn to follow him, but the imperative of the church is that we are called, you are called, I am called to make disciples. If you are following Jesus, he said, freely you've received from me, now freely give. As you are learning to follow me, you teach others how to do the same. 
you teach others how to do the same. This is what Abraham did. It's what we're called to do as people of faith. We're called to open people's eyes from, and turn them from darkness, which implies blindness, to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance by those who are sanctified by faith in him. That's what the Bible says. And what we're doing as we communicate to people is only what C.S. Lewis communicated in uh, Mere Christianity. How many people are familiar with C.S. Lewis? Okay, how many people are familiar with mere Christianity? Okay, great apologetic, especially for this generation. He said this, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care. On the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. I'm not going to repeat that, <laughs> okay? But you can read that later. How many people can say amen to that? It's called you to a place. But during our walk with him, he's called us to a people who help us walk it out. And he continues to talk about that with the faith of Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17, continuing on. He said, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. We see that whenever God is calling us to live a life of faith, there are also times of testing that accompany it. How many people can say, oh my, to that? <laughs> okay? It's like God gives us promises, but God also gives us tests. He says, I'm going to call you to my land of promise. I'm going to call you to my people of promise. I'm going to call you to my purposes. But along the way, you will be tested. And if you are not ready for a test, you're not ready to walk with God. The very thing that we see in this um, instance is that God said that through Isaac, all the people of the earth will be blessed, this child of promise. He said that this mighty nation that I promised to you was going to come through this child Isaac. But if you look back in Genesis 22, and again, we encourage you to do your homework, to take these stories that we're reading now and go back 
and find their source so that you can get the full depth and the breadth of it. And what we see is that God had called the very one that he had made a promise about to be sacrificed by his father Abraham. And so if you could imagine that, all of a sudden for 25 years, for 25 years, Abraham, in between the time that God had said, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, to the time that Isaac was born, 25 years. And so that should be an encouragement, people of God, to any of you who are believing God for anything, right? A lot of times we're like, we wait a couple months, we wait a couple years, and we're like, God hasn't come through yet. And he's like, listen, if you want to look to the context of Scripture, he waited 25 years for that one promise to come about. And then all of a sudden, the baby's born, Isaac starts to grow, he's loving life, you know, throwing the sheepskin with his dad, no, I'm just kidding, but like, you know, but he's all of a sudden, you know, like growing and thriving, and then all of a sudden, God speaks to Abraham and again, and Abraham starts rubbing his hands, and it's like, oh, this is going to be good. You know, I've been waiting 25 years. Anytime God speaks to me, it's like, I'm going to be a mighty nation. He's going to make my name great. If anyone blesses me, they're going to be blessed. If anyone curses me, they're going to be cursed. What does God want to speak to me today? And then he says, sacrifice your son. And I'm like, say that again sacrifice your son. Wait a minute, God, that's the very thing that you promised me. That's the very thing that you told me you were trying to bring about in my life to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> what we see is that Abraham was brought into a place that by faith, he was having to obey God even in times of testing even when the very thing that he could have loved most or built his life and his hopes around was seemingly going to be taken from him. And how many times are we tested in such a way in our walk with God that the thing that we value most is brought to the surface by times of testing? And we find out that it's not, in fact, Jesus that we love, but it's the thing that we're hoping to get from him. And then he brings it to the surface to test us, to wipe away the dross, dross to give us a pure love for him. He says, just like with Abraham, if you're going to walk with, by faith, you're going to come into times of testing. There will always be a series of tests in the middle of faith, the faith walk to see what you love more than Jesus or are willing to give up for him. How many people know that in any relationship, any committed relationship, ultimately it costs you something? Okay, well, if you don't know that, some of you better get ready, <laughs> okay? Because like when Chris said, Aaron, will you be mine? Guess what that meant? No more to anybody else. Come on, everybody say amen to that. <laughs> yeah. He said, will you be my bride? That's it. Aaron is the best thing since sliced bread now. There are no other options. She always was. But listen, it's like it's, she is, there's no other option. When you get married, just like God relates his covenant relationship to us, to a marriage, he said, it's me and no other gods. It's me and no other affections before me. No other pursuits before me. No other devotions before me. And I will test it to see what's really in your heart by what I require of you. 
Luke 14, verses 25 through 27, when Jesus was talking to the crowds, everybody was excited whenever Jesus was giving, um, doing all of his miracles, right? Opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, raising young children from the dead, and giving them back to their widowed mothers. We all love that, right? We all love the miracles of God. He's a miracle-working God. How many people say amen to that? And we love that about him, right? But then whenever he says, this is what's going to cost you to follow me, there is a cost to relationship with me, all of a sudden we take a pause. And Jesus had to talk to the crowd and make it plain to them. Luke 14, 25 through 27, he said, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate... Wait a minute, I thought Jesus was all about love. Okay, hold on now. He said, If anyone does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And what is Jesus saying there? Is he saying, hate your mother, father, brother, sister, wife, and children? Okay, please come on now. The answer is no. Okay, the answer is no. He says, in fact, the only way you're going to love them well is if you learn to love me first. But he says, in comparison to me, you need your love for anybody or anything else needs to look like hate in comparison to your love for me. Why? Because you can only serve one master. One master. Either you'll love the one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He's talking about that in the context of money, right? He said you can't serve both God and money. He says choose who you're going to serve. Choose what you're going to serve. Times of testing will always come in a walk of faith. The question is, what do you love more than Jesus today? What do you love more than Jesus today? Is it your comfort? Is it your career? Is it a relationship in which you find yourself or that you're hoping for? Willing to give up his standards to get that man or that woman that you've been longing for? Is it your idea of success, maintaining your own identity or creating your own happiness? God will require even the thing that he's promised you to be placed on the altar if it gets in the way of your unadulterated love for, worship of, and service to him. You hear that? That was the example of Isaac. Eventually, when Abraham was willing to offer up his son, that's where the ram in the thicket came from, right? The proverbial ram in the thicket. He was about to offer that son. They were going up together just thinking they were having another walk in the park, right? I'm just hanging out with dad today. Dad, why I got these sticks in my hand? Oh, don't worry about it, son. <laughs> you know, just keep walking, <laughs> you know? It's like, dad, that, that knife is looking kind of shiny. What, what, we, we're going to like a barbecue or something? Son, just keep walking. And then all of a sudden he gets strapped down to the altar. Uh, dad, you know? And he's like, listen, God, if you said it, I'm going to do it. I'm willing to obey you even with the thing that I love costs me something. And the good news is as he was willing to give it up, put it on the altar, God said, stop. Stop. I'm not confused. 
I'm not confused, but now I see that you love me. You are willing to give up even the thing that you love, even the promise that you felt like I made to you. Why? Because you felt like I could even raise that from the dead if I needed to, if you gave it up at the appropriate time. And sometimes the question is, what is he calling you even to give up for a season that you might have unadulterated love to him? What's he calling you to give up for this season that he might clean you out, cleanse your heart, your mind, and actually give you something that's unadulterated? It's a question he'll ask of us all, and it's the walk of faith. If there is a promise that you are clinging to more than you are clinging to the person of Jesus, he'll test it. God tests the object, <clears throat> tests the object of his promise in our hearts, not because he doesn't want to give you the uh, fulfillment of the promise, but so that you won't lose the promise maker in the midst of the pursuit of the promise. You hear that? He tests it so you won't lose the promise maker in the midst of the pursuit of the promise. Our tendency as humans is to gravitate towards loving our stuff and our ideas of happiness more than the giver of life himself. We like what we can control, not what we can't. However, we will never control God. I'll repeat that. We will never control God. We are called instead to give him control. Amen to that. C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he had the beaver speaking, and I like how he describes Aslan, who is you know, analogous to Jesus. Anybody like the Chronicles of Narnia? Uh, it's my favorite, favorite, favorite series. Children's book, but C.S. Lewis said any children's book that adults that can't speak to or adults can't enjoy isn't a good children's book at all, right? He said, safe, said Mr. Beaver, speaking about Aslan and therefore Jesus. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. People want Jesus to be safe, but he's not safe. <laughs> oh, he'll disrupt your world. He will disrupt your world. He's not safe, but he is good. You hear that? You hear that? You can't control him, but if you follow him, he'll lead you into what's good. And his protection is there as well. Final point. He gives us a promise of not only what happens initiates our walk of faith with him, giving us a place. He not only calls us to times of testing during our walk of faith, but even after our lives, all that we're building towards. He gives us a promise or otherwise known as a purpose. Hebrews 11, verses 21 through 22, and then we're done. He said, by faith. <clears throat> I'll actually start in verse on 20. He said, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, which we'll cover more next week, so you don't have to worry about it now. The exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Ultimately, I'll just make this one brief. Your life of faith is meant to bring both blessing and structure to future generations who will also look to and honor Christ. 
Your life is meant to bring blessing and structure to future generations that will also honor Jesus Christ. So the conclusion of the matter is repent and give Christ control at the cross today because of his death, burial, and resurrection. He can make you new, giving you a place of people and a promise slash a purpose in his kingdom. And that's what he wants for all of us. And that's how we walk by faith. Amen? All right, let's rise to our feet. We're going to have the worship team come back up. And then as they come back up, again, let this be a moment of reckoning wherever you might find yourself. Let this be a moment that if you have not given up control to the living God today, today can, right now in worship, this can be an altar moment for you where you say, God, I agree with your word that the righteous will live by faith and I'm giving it all to you so that I might do that very thing. In Jesus' name.